God, we come here this morning to declare that to be true. Great are you, Lord, worthy of our praise. You are the amazing God, majestic, holy, righteous, more than we can even imagine or begin to imagine. You live in such a high, holy place. And God, you're, you're so eminent. You're, you're so far beyond anything we can even touch. And yet, you've revealed yourself to us. And so you're right here with us. And so we pour out our praise and we take the breath that you've put in our lungs and we declare that you are Lord. God's people said, amen, amen. I invite you to be seated as I release the children through grade four. So glad you're here this morning. We're looking at this year, this idea of delighting in loving obedience, and, and as we do that, we're going to be spending time looking at what it means to, to know God's design for certain things. So for a few weeks here, we're going to be looking at God's design, and first we're looking at God's design for life today, since it is Sanctity of Human Life Weekend. And um, I know that, that it's a topic that's hard to talk about. But we're a pro-life church, and the reason we're a pro-life church is because we worship a God who's pro-life, and our God is pro-life, and, and we know that because he tells us that in the book that he's given us. And he is, yes, pro-physical life, he's, he's for the unborn, but he is also pro-eternal life, and he is pro-abundant Life, And so we're going to look at that together today. And even as we talk about abortion, we look at that and we see that last year the number one cause of death around the world was abortion. 42 million babies were aborted last year worldwide. And we know that here in our own country since 1973, the Roe versus Wade decision, that we're now approaching 61 million babies that have been aborted in our country. And as I say that, I know and understand what that means is there's over 100 million parents of those unborn. Those who are, who are wrestling with, with shame and guilt and, and thoughts that, that are holding them in bondage. And part of being pro-life is wanting all of those people, and maybe you're in this room here, to know as well that you can have abundant life in Jesus. So what does it mean to look at God's design for life? Why should we value life? And the truth is, the majority of the world doesn't know who God is. They don't know him. They don't know what he says. They don't know what he stands for. They don't know what his design is. And so even as we begin to talk about these things today, for some of us, it may be like, yes, I know that. Yes, I know that. But for a lot of people, it's not. I have a choose life uh, license plates on our cars that, that we have, and and. I have seen people look at it and try to figure out what that means because it's hard. But God defines the meaning of human life and he's the one who gives it value. 
God is the one who defines human life and the meaning of that life, and he's the one who gives it value. The first thing we see is that God is life. God is life within himself. He is self-sustaining life. He is absolute life. And so as we look at that, he needs nothing outside of himself to be. He is living and always has been living. In Jeremiah 10.10, Jeremiah says, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God the eternal king. And Jesus says of himself, I am the resurrection and the life. I am life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life in in John chapter 14. Colossians Colossians 1 tells us that, that all things came into being through Jesus. He's the creator and sustainer of all life. In John chapter 5, verse 26 As the Father has life in himself, Jesus said, so has he granted the Son also to have life in himself. In Revelation 1.18, I am the living one. I was dead, but now look, I'm alive forever. So we look at this and we see that he is alive. God is life, and he has life within himself. And as such... He creates life. All life comes from God. All life, plant life all the way up to us as as people, all of us derive our life from God. And he has given life to us as humans in his image. We have been created in his image. And there are volumes written about what that means. But basically, it means that we represent him. We reflect him and represent him in our person. The very fact that we are, we are created and designed by him. In Genesis 1, he says, let us make mankind in our image. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created people. And then in chapter 2, verse 7, he says, now the Lord God formed man from the dust of ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Man wasn't always a living He became a living being because God is the one who put the breath into Adam. And he's the one who gives us breath. Acts 17, when Paul is arguing with the, or debating with the, um, the Athenians, he says, rather, he himself gives everyone life, breath, and everything else. God is the one who gives life. God is the one who gives breath. God is the one who gives everything. We can't create anything without using the materials he created for us to do something with. But he created from nothing all that we have and all that we see. I was having breakfast with my youngest granddaughter. And um, we got talking. And, of course, what you do when you're talking to a third-year-old is you start to talk about how long you can live without stuff, right? 
And so we started talking about how long can you live without food or water? And you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't know the answers to those questions, but you could Google it, not right now, stay riveted here, okay? Um, but, right, I think it's like a month or something without food and probably seven, eight days without water, but how long without breath? You know, I mean, you need air, you need breath, and every breath comes from God. Every one of them. Every breath you take. When was the last time that you realized it's the breath of God that's filling your lungs? Which is why we say it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. Psalm 115 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so the declaration that comes, the air in my lung fills my lungs so that the air can come out. And of course, we understand that this life-giving breath of God is his spirit too. And and his spirit breathes life into us. So we're created in the image of God. So every person you meet, every person you meet is unique and special and has been given, given life by God. And as you see that person, You're seeing someone who has life because God has determined to give it to them. That's what gives life dignity. That's what makes life so special. That's what makes it sacred even. It's the fact that it's made by God for him. Every life. And we know from God's word that life begins that moment of conception. Life begins. It doesn't take long for there to be a heartbeat in the fetus. My daughter's expecting. And that baby's moving around in there like crazy. I'm thinking, glad it's not in me. I don't don't know how you girls do it. Just, yo, man. It's amazing though because it's life and I can't wait to see her and squeeze her and say hello welcome to our world you've got the best grandfather you could ever have (laughs) the reason there's so many abortions is because there are so many people who don't know that God is the giver of life And that God is longing to touch each one of those lives. God designed this world filled with life. When you read Genesis 1, it's a constant filling of the world with life. And he brought man into the garden and he said, here it is. It's all alive. It's all for you. I give it to you. Work it for me. But listen. One thing, don't eat the fruit from that tree. Because if you eat that fruit, you will die. But go for it. And so man went into the garden and was working. And we don't know how long, but there came that moment in time when Adam and Eve there, and Eve was deceived, and she took the fruit and she ate, and she gave some to Adam, and he ate, and sin entered into the world. And when sin entered into the world, death came into the world. And death came into the world. 
And we're told that the wages of sin is death. Now, Adam and Eve didn't drop dead physically at that moment in time. But at that moment in time, death came. And some of the, some of the ramifications of that death, some of the ramifications of the sin and the pride and the death, separation from God, absolute separation from God, severed from him, from the relationship we were designed to have, strife in our relationships with each other, Guilt, shame, condemnation, bitterness, anger, pride, rivalry, all of these things, all the consequences of of exchanging the life of God for the death of sin. Paul talks about being slaves to righteousness instead of slaves to sin. He talks about life as light and sin as darkness. Life, death, light, darkness. Death comes into the world. And it plays itself out in so many different ways. And as man tries to find meaning for himself apart from God, and that meaning naturally moves into ourselves and we begin to make choices that are just totally illogical, but we feel they're right. And then, Ephesians 2.1 tells us that we're dead in our transgression and sins. When we come to that point, we're absolutely dead in those transgressions and sin. The darkness overtakes us. How awful it would be if that were the end of the story. But you see, God is life, and God gives life, and sin brings death, but God is the restorer of life as well. God restores life. John tells us that he writes his gospel so that by believing we may have life in the name of Christ. What about you? Have you come to that place in your life where you've realized the darkness that you're in? Sin brings death. I love to tell the story. It's going to be my theme and glory. To tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I'm going to share the gospel right now. And I know some of you have heard the gospel a thousand times. And you've received Jesus as your Savior. What you're going to do right now is you're going to pray. And you're going to pray that if anybody in this room has not yet met Jesus as their Savior, that today they will. All right? Ready? Here we go. You've sinned. You've done things that are displeasing to God. You've you've designed your universe around yourself and you've made choices because you didn't know any better and you've chosen to please yourself and you've rejected God and you've rejected the offer of his love and you've rejected his presence in your life and you've chosen to go your own way and that way is a way of death and destruction. And the Bible tells us that if As you've sinned, you've earned death. But the Bible tells us that there's a gift, and that gift is eternal life, and that comes through Jesus Christ. Listen, if you don't know Jesus, what it is is you're standing in this huge chasm of sin that separated you from God. It's a huge chasm, and you cannot cross it on your own. 
It would be like, like trying to get to the moon and doing this and thinking you're close enough. See, you can't get across this gap. It's huge and it's vast. And there's no way across. You are totally separated from God. And you've earned that. And it's an eternal choice. It's a choice to be in hell forever. But God sent Jesus. You see, I can't bridge the gap between me and God, but God can bridge the gap from him to me. And that's what he did. He sent Jesus to bridge that gap. And Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. God in flesh, he came and he died on a cross and he paid the death penalty that our sin has earned. The death penalty that I owed. And so he died. And his death is sufficient for every single person to come to a saving knowledge of him. But it's only effective for those who choose to receive. You see, the offer is being made. Jesus makes the offer, let my death pay your penalty, and you have opportunity to say yes or no on this side. But it's an eternal choice. And his salvation will only come to you as you receive him. As you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I'm separated from you. I know that I've done things that are against you, and I know that I don't deserve it, but I throw myself on your mercy, and I ask that you would come into my life and that you would take my life of sin and exchange it. Take it away. I give you my life. Come and be the Lord of my life. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that. Because God will restore your life and you will be born again. And if you've done that, now you have the opportunity to throw off those things that have held you in bondage. See, because God is the giver of life and he's the giver of abundant life as well. John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. Listen, if you're going through things in your life, if you're beating yourself up, if you're carrying guilt and shame, if you, if you are a child of God, you are who God says you are, but maybe you're trapped. Maybe there's things in your life. Maybe there's something you did that, that has trapped you and, and you just keep listening to this voice of condemnation over and over again. Listen, you're not holding on to, this, to the life that God is longing for you to have. And see, the, the problem is in our world is, is that people who are hurt hurt other people. But people who by God's grace have been healed take his message of healing. And they take that into a world that desperately needs to know that. So have you been born again? Have you been healed? My friend Deb wants to give us a testimony of what it means to allow that healing to come into your life. When Pastor Chuck announced the theme for 2016, would be Psalm 96, verses two and three. All I heard was, this year we're going to tell our stories and give God the glory. 
I remember thinking, hmm, no, I won't be sharing my story, but love obeys. For the longest time, I believed my story to be one of only shame and darkness. But my Heavenly Father reminds me every day in His Word that His is a story of love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and redemption. And it's His story He wants me to tell. I accepted Christ as my Savior in November of 1994. I accepted His love and forgiveness in November 2017. And at a Saturday night service last April, he turned my heart inside out as I fully embraced the truth that he has entrusted me with his power, his glory, and this story. It's said that we're born with a God-shaped hole in our heart, and unless we fill it with Jesus, we'll look elsewhere for fulfillment. Relationships, alcohol, drugs, food, entertainment, all the things the world has to offer and I did look elsewhere. I made terrible decisions, irrevocable choices. I kept so many secrets from my family, my parents, the people who loved me. I lived a life of chaos and confusion, and I was in desperate need of a savior. After years of avoiding responsibility for my actions and running from my wreckage, I returned to this area in 1991, and in 1994, Rick and I were married two sinners on a collision course with disaster. We still don't know what we were thinking or how we ever thought our marriage would work. But six months later, I accepted Christ. More to the point, I flung myself over the walls of Christianity, recited the sinner's prayer, and considered myself saved. I immediately encased myself in a whitewashed tomb and put on the righteous robes of a Pharisee. My past was now safely contained, never to be thought of or mentioned again. Then I rolled up my sleeves and became the best Proverbs 31 woman I could be. Poor Rick, he never knew what hit him. Let's just say I was zealous in my efforts and encouragement for him to join me in my quest for an orderly life and respectability. Never once did the love, mercy, or grace of the Lord factor into my new life. I saw Christianity as a way to forget who I had been, and I looked at the Bible as a book of rules to follow, that if I followed them to the letter, they would provide protection, refuge, and a community. I never told anyone anything about my past, not one thing about who I had been or things I had done, and I lived in terror of the day they would find out. It was so hard to be a Christian. But I think that may have been God's plan to make me so uncomfortable with my story that I would begin to look for comfort in his story of grace and redemption. It's not God's plan for us to bury our pasts because God in his sovereignty uses all things for our good, especially our wreckage. It's not his plan for us to remain silent. It's God's desire to bring our shame and darkness to the surface of our hearts so he can shine his light of mercy on it, forgive us our sins, heal us from a broken past, and enable us to share our stories and give him the glory. And so he brought us to this church, to Calvary, that oozes love and joy in Jesus. And he gave us a pastor who stands for justice and delights in telling his congregation that Jesus is bigger. Rick and I were warmly welcomed here and soon invited to join a small group. In 2015, my husband accepted Christ as his savior. After 20 years, my single-minded prayer for Rick's salvation had been answered. 
Life should have been perfect, except it wasn't. Rick had all the joy of a new believer, but I was feeling like I was missing something. And when David and Judy Sprong would bring the women from Ellsworth Prison here to sing and share their testimonies, I would look into their beautiful faces and wonder what they had that I was missing. I read my Bible, I knew scripture, I attended Bible studies, I gave money to missionaries, and I smiled a lot. It turns out I knew the rules, I just didn't know Jesus. And then, Justice Weekend, in a way that only God could orchestrate, he brought the ministry of 2361 into my life. And those loving, patient women showed me over and over again in God's word and the Bible study of Forgiven and Set Free that God forgives even me. At first, the Bible study was raw and uncomfortable. There was so much buried pain and sorrow, but God was in the midst of it all. And soon, his loving, compassionate voice replaced the self-loathing and self-condemnation that had imprisoned me for almost four decades. And because God never changes and cannot lie, I believe that Jesus really did come to set the captives free, bind up the brokenhearted, and bring beauty from ashes. At our house, we like to say, I've been born again, again. So for weeks after the study, I would ask Rick if I looked different because I felt different. I felt as though there were sparks shooting off of me. I felt so radiant and light in my spirit and flooded with an unspeakable joy that I had never known before. The changes the Lord made in my heart were, are, astounding. Every day I am overwhelmed by the magnitude of it all, that I am so thoroughly loved by God that he has forgiven even the guilt of my sin. And while my story may have begun in shame and darkness, praise be to God, he has forgiven me and set me free. And I will live every day in gratitude to my Lord and Savior, because love obeys. What's, what's holding you in bondage? I remember the day you released it. So many of us step into this salvation and then think we have to look a certain way. Listen, all you have to look like is a child of the king. And when you speak out these things that you're holding inside, what you do is you release them into the power of God and take them from the power of Satan. He can't speak death over you anymore because God is speaking life over those areas. As the worship team comes up, to ask yourself, is, is there stuff you're holding on to? Four decades? There's so much more to life than living in guilt and shame and pushing it down and thinking that's what's important. As you open your heart to the Lord, you can find that joy and, and you can trade in the ashes for beauty. But you must take that burden and put it at the foot of the cross. And maybe God's stirring in your heart. 
Listen, if you brought a burden in here today, and maybe you've been bringing that same burden in for 50 years, leave it here. Leave it here. Don't take it back with you. It's not why Jesus died. He didn't die so you could beat yourself up over the head with all your stuff. That's not why he died. He died so you could be free. And there's no judgment here. We're all sinners, desperately in need of a Savior. So if you need prayer, come forward. We'll pray with you as you come up here. If you want to come up after, that's fine too. But if you feel like coming up during the song, please feel free to do that. God, you know each heart in this room. And you know the thief is longing to steal, kill, and destroy. And speak death over us. But you are speaking life. God, I pray that each person in this room would hear the voice of life being spoken over them. God, I pray we wouldn't just talk or sing about laying our burdens down, but that we'd do it. Because Jesus is bigger than any mistake. And the world needs to know that followers of Jesus are free. So help us, God. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Oh, I release you to a week of work, witness, and worship. If you need prayer, come on up. I'd be glad to pray with you. There's other people up here who'll pray with you. Leave your junk here. Please. Amen.